This scripture reading for this morning is taken from the letter to the Philippians, Philippians chapter 3, and we'll be reading together the verses 1 to 16. You'll be able to find that on page 1350 of your pew Bible. Philippians chapter 3. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For to me, for me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also may have confidence in the flesh, If anyone thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gain to me, these I have counted loss for for Christ. Yet I... Indeed, also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained, or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. So far, the word of God. The text for today is taken from the verses 13 to 14. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we live in a day and age in which a lot of people speak about needing self-confidence. The Greek word for confidence, as we find it in our passage related to the flesh, reflects this same idea. It describes this as what you feel you can depend on or lean on in relation to your flesh, your flesh which is to say your human nature. 
Your worth is found in how you feel your life measures up, humanly speaking. What you feel you are confident about when it comes to yourself. For you young people who are in high school, you've got a pretty good idea of this, don't you? What clothes you wear seems to make a pretty big impact. How funny you are, how outgoing you are, how athletic you are. As you get older, this will change to a certain extent. In some ways, this will become easier and you'll feel like you're finding your place in the world in the years beyond high school, but you still do take your human nature with you. And so, in others, you can recognize similar questions that rise up. What is it that you build your worth around, loved ones? Do you want your family to be the perfect Canadian Reformed family? Do you ache for your dad to voice his approval of what you say and do instead of always falling short? Do you find your identity wrapped up in desperately wanting your children to succeed in all of the places that you failed? Do you want your friends to love you? How do you measure your worth? Do you measure it by things that Paul calls us in verse 13 to leave behind? Or do you measure your terms measure it in terms of your identity in Christ. How do you measure your worth? In our passage, God teaches us three things in particular that Christians can leave behind as measures of their worth. The Apostle Paul says, my confidence is not in anything that I bring forward. And we see that it's not in his heritage, not in his righteousness, and not in his zeal when we look at verses four to seven. But it is in Christ and in Christ alone. And as we grow in our confidence in Christ, we will find that our joy follows close behind. As we read in verse one of our passage, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. So today we'll focus on the first of those three things, heritage. How do you measure your worth? We'll see, first of all, the joy found in Christ as you leave behind your fleshly heritage. And secondly, the joy found in Christ as you press on in your spiritual heritage. If we look at the first half of verse 5, we read these words. Circumcised the eighth day, of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. With these words, the Apostle Paul begins his confrontation with different individuals in the church in Philippi. These were individuals who demanded that you had to be circumcised to be a good Christian. And with his response to them, he speaks to two things. First of all, being born in the right family or into the right situation. And secondly, in light of those who don't fit in as well, not being born into this. We'll look at the first 
being born into the right family or in the right situation. Before Christ, circumcision was a beautiful thing. It was a mark that you belonged, that you belonged to God and you were chosen as his own special people in this world. Now that Christ has come, things have changed. Baptism was instituted as the new mark that came with the new covenant. But in the Philippian church, some formerly Jewish Christians still held strongly to the need for that physical reminder as well. They were very vocal in their demands, even vicious and divisive. And Paul speaks very strongly about them in our passage here today. He says, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. Dogs was in Paul's day a reference to Gentiles. And mutilation is a very strong way to talk down about physical circumcision. So those circumcised himself as a practicing Jew He is saying that people who try force the issue of circumcision, demanding that to be a good Christian you need to be circumcised, that they are spiritual Gentiles of the worst kind. He's saying that if they continue to demand this in addition to the work of Christ, they aren't truly Christians. They don't belong to the people of God. And their ceremony if they try to make it a marker of belonging to Jesus, it holds no more value for them than mutilation of the body would. It was a worthless thing, even a harmful thing to put your confidence in. Why does he use such strong language? The reason for this was that by excluding people from Jesus if they were not circumcised, they were causing people to doubt their salvation. More than that, they were leading other people into the same error that they themselves were taking part in. To challenge other people on the basis of these fleshly things. Here's the thing. Heritage, which is to say that which is passed down from our forefathers, is good and important when we're learning from the past. It is absolutely necessary to learn from the sins and the failures of those who came before, as well as from the grace of God shown to our forefathers, stretching right back to the New Testament and the Old Testament beyond that. But when we make our outwardly conforming to this fleshly heritage the source of our confidence, we run into trouble. The Apostle Paul was saying when you're outwardly conforming to this act of circumcision becomes the thing that you build your identity around that you say this is a marker of being in Christ. This is where you run into trouble. It's not that you are outwardly joined to this group that matters. I had all of that, he said. Circumcised, born a Jew, the ultimate Hebrew, you might say. 
Yet apart from Christ, it means nothing. It's the wrong place to place your confidence. We should, of course, give thanks that God has placed us here among the people of God, especially if it is a situation in which it is a gift that's been passed down to us through our forefathers. There are many benefits physically and spiritually to being part of the community of the people of God, even for generations. But that is not where our confidence lies. If our only goal is to match with those who are around and to stay in the same religion until death, to just go to church every Sunday and do all my obligations, that is the wrong place to place our confidence. And the shared outward symbols of being joined to this community, looking the same, behaving the same, having the same upbringing, is not where our confidence lies either. In fact, if it does become our confidence, where we find our sense of self-worth, where our identity is grounded, the Apostle Paul says, beware, you are walking away from Christ. While there's a sharp warning here, there's also something profoundly comforting about what Paul is saying here too, isn't there? Because Paul's words here deal actually with two things. Not only that question of sharing in that same heritage and lining up with everything that those Jews were doing and passing down historically, but he also spoke to the tender heart of the one who feels, I don't fit in in the midst of all of this. The tender heart of the Greek who would have been sitting in the Philippian congregation feeling the pressures and the accusations coming at him and feeling, I don't feel like I fit in in the same way. I was not born in the right family. Just as much as there are those who feel they have the right heritage, there are also those who feel like they have the wrong one. If you look historically, you could think of women, for example, in the line of Jesus, like Rahab and Ruth, who came from outside of the people of God. Tamar, who had acted like a roadside prostitute, or the children of these women. Yes, think about the children and the families of these. Some, like Ruth, may have been respected. But can you imagine the talk among the other children in their community that went on about the children of these other women, Rahab, Tamar? There are those who feel like they don't fit in. They feel like they don't fit in among the people of God because they are different or their family is different. They're worried that they will make the same mistakes as those who came before them or be trapped in the same sin or be judged because of their different backgrounds. They worry that the sins of others in their family or in their history will reflect on them in such a way that they will never fit in. And it would have been on behalf of such souls that Paul was fighting. 
So for them to hear the Apostle Paul, this man who was, you might say, the ultimate Hebrew among all of the Hebrews that these people would have been sitting among, the one who had more credibility than almost anyone else on this issue, speaking in this way about his Hebrew background, would have been an incredible comfort for them. For them to hear him say, you non-Jews, non-circumcised and I, we're on the same footing. Did you catch that in verse 3, where he says, we, he doesn't say you, he says, we are the circumcision. Saying we are the circumcision puts them and Paul in the same boat, equal before God. Equally in need of redemption, yes, but also equally those who, by faith, have received that redemption because of Christ. In this, Christ has brought them into that covenant that in the Old Testament was marked by circumcision. Christ has spiritually made them members of that same covenant people of God, sharing in that same heritage as the people of God and as heirs to the same promises of God given to all his people. What joy this would have brought to those tender hearts. They were being undermined in their faith. They were being attacked as lesser Christians for their lack of being Jewish enough for not fitting in well. But Paul describes these now cultural attachments as nothing, as nothing compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, verse 8. Paul's willingness to let go of his heritage for the sake of others and more importantly for the sake of Christ, recognizing what Christ has done for him and Christ is doing in them, is able to bring them a profound peace and, looking back at verse 1 again, a profound joy in the Lord, being grounded in the Lord, who so warmly receives them no matter what their background. But this situation doesn't just bring peace and joy. It also challenges the readers to press on. And we'll look at this under our second point, the joy found in Christ as you press on in your spiritual heritage. So what mindset is it that the Apostle Paul's words about cultural heritage, the way he speaks about these outward symbols, challenges them? His words are challenging the foolishness of the natural inclination of our human heart. In our fallen condition, we're always concerned about having a good face, of belonging because we fit in outwardly. Our confidence is, humanly speaking, quite often grounded in what he describes in verse 4 as the flesh. But this is a concern about our image. It's a concern about who we are on the outside. It doesn't reflect who God made us to be on the inside, new people in Christ. By faith in Jesus Christ, we are joined together, not by skin color or cultural background or anything else, 
People with whom you have a lot in common may be easier to accept, humanly speaking, yet being part of the family of God is not accepting people, brothers and sisters, because they look like us or act like us or have the same upbringing as us. It's looking at and loving brothers and sisters because they have the same Savior as us. For those who feel like they don't fit in, for those who feel this natural inclination of the human heart that's grounded in outwardly fitting in as well, who struggle with this, you do. You do fit in because you have the same savior as your brothers and sisters do. And he doesn't love you any less because you look or act different or because your background is different. He loves you because you belong to him. Your faith is in him. Consider again the woman we spoke of in Jesus' genealogy. Those women who would have felt like outsiders were not only brought in by God himself, but ended up, those women who would have felt like outsiders ended up being brought in by God himself and ended up being honored in Jesus' genealogy. They were loved and accepted by the generations that followed because of the work of God. And you have brothers and sisters here who love you and accept you with that very same love because you have the same Savior as they do. It is good and right when we accept each other on this ground. Why? Because this is exactly what Jesus wanted, exactly what Jesus called us to. Think of when he spoke of how he wanted his church to be one in him in the Garden of Gethsemane, John 17, verse 21. In the Garden of Gethsemane and beyond, he gave them a new heritage, one of a people united not in our former lives, but united as a redeemed people in him. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, in John 17, verse 21, he prayed for unity for his people in him, in the redemption that he obtained for us. Holding on tightly to this was Paul's goal. United as members of the spiritual circumcision, redeemed by Christ, and being conformed to him in his death and resurrection as it describes it in verses 9 to 11, being heirs of a new future together. This is true unity and this is what brings us joy. This unity was already reflected in the early church as it was transformed by Christ. People of different cultures and languages, people of different socioeconomic statuses, people of different walks of life, different spiritual backgrounds. The grace of Christ brought them together and they were embraced by each other on the basis of that grace because they had the same Savior. 
This is how Paul puts it in Galatians 3, verses 26 to 29. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. This is what Paul means when he says we are the circumcision in verse 3. Despite the people he talked to not being physically circumcised. This is what the Lord Jesus calls his people to as he calls them upwards. The prize that he has in store for them. As a church, let us eagerly seek to reflect this, loved ones. United in love because we have the same Savior. As a church community, we should reflect this. Fleshly heritage, background, is not where Paul puts his confidence. He forgets it, which is not to say that it slips from his memory. It's not that he can't remember it anymore. It's that he deliberately puts it off. It has no bearing in his future in Christ Jesus anymore. When it raises its head in his memory, he says, it has no play in whom I am anymore because I am in Christ. He puts it off and he strains to that which lies ahead, that prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So, loved ones, as we grow in the grace of God, our fallen condition, which always wants to put on a good face and whitewash our backgrounds, or which wants to make others measure up to our fleshly upbringing, is laid aside. Our confidence, or our lack thereof, in our fleshly heritage, in the outward things, is laid aside. And in this, our Savior, who has lifted us up and draws us to himself in that continuing upward call, is glorified all the more. Now, can we ourselves do all this perfectly? Are we there yet, looking only imperfectly to our new heritage and, and future in Christ? Not on this side of eternity. Not even the Apostle Paul himself. I do not count myself to have apprehended, to seize, to lay hold of, to make it one's own, to win, to attain. This is not mine in fullness yet, he is saying. He is continuing to be called upwards all his life long. But he rests secure in this. That despite his weaknesses and shortcomings, despite the challenges that he struggles with, he belongs to Christ. Verse 12, I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Or as the ESV says, not that I have already obtained all this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus has made me his own. We continue to pursue this united in Christ. This is our identity. 
This is our new heritage, that we are family and that we can trust that he preserves his people as family, as his family until the last day. Remember what he said in chapter one, verse six, he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Let us hold fast to that. And let us confess, I measure my worth in Christ. I measure the worth of those around me in Christ. Let us confess in Christ we have a new heritage, not the fall in the Garden of Eden, but redemption in the Garden of Gethsemane and on the cross. We have a new family, the family of God, and we have a new union with each other, union with union in Christ. Let us together spur each other on in love as we press onwards and upwards to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Amen.